It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mackie and Judd. Right by the State Fair Grandstand, come check us out at full strength. Welcome, Philip. Hello. I, I see that uh, someone has already dove into the bucket of Sweet Martha's cookies. And it's not here. me. Was it Collar? Uh, it was, well, first it was the guilty are Chip was here oh, see, Chip at 9 loves, o'clock. Yeah, Chip loves and Chip's it. like, you can do this hey, show by yourself, man. I'm, I'm taking it. And then Fenske came up here and took a plate. And then Collar told me that he actually saves up Sweet calories for this oh and like, so like he, all year yeah or? yeah he told me he saves up and because he, he's a thin dude and lost a bunch of weight at one point i guess yeah and so he purposely saves up his calorie count just for these cookies can i make another uh since that's how it's it the down. week of, of of admissions on the show yeah i am on day 25 of the whole 30 right now oh no i think this happened the first year we were at the fair yeah or something like that where i was doing a whole 30 for a couple weeks and then i bowed out after the second week because we were at the state fair and bleep it there's a corn dog in front of me yep i'm bound and determined to get through the next five days which will take us into the middle of next week so by by the end of next week i will be partaking in sweet martha's cookies but for the next so you're two gonna fair days stay off maybe, them. okay for the next three fair days for sure I do think there might be something at the turkey leg station because it's like it's vegetables and meats and it can't be anything that's processed or or carbs, right? It's very difficult. You don't get a body like me by uh, you know eating uh, pronto pups every day, but I think pork chop on a stick might be safe. I'll just have about nine of those later on today. So what are okay? So so what can you eat exactly? So at the fair or in general? Just in general. So you're supposed to just eat essentially things that you would eat. A thousand years ago, right? Like, so nothing that's processed, right. nothing that is flowery or just natural ingredients. So, vegetables, fruits, meats, etc. Okay. And then, as far as things you can have to drink, I might cheat once in a while and pour a little vodka. Okay. But definitely no beer. No try, alcohol. Try I mean, like, you're not supposed to drink in alcohol. In theory, no but alcohol. Come on, I'm a human oh, no, being. No, I know. I'm right. Not, I'm not looking down at you. For and that. it's not easy to be Ooh. to be around. It's it's a it's a hundred percent. Uh, poor choice by me. The timing didn't work out math-wise in my head. I wanted to get it done before the state fair, but here I am with five days to go, and I. Okay, so you get done, and you're sort of, in a sense, cleansed. But what's the next step then? Uh, debauchery. Like you've lost some. Like I'm sure you lose some weight. Probably like ten pounds. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. but then, so then, do you get done and and say I've turned a corner in my life, and and I might not do <laughs> the whole thirty, but I'm going to be a healthier person, or do you say? 30 days are done, bleep it, think, I'm back. I think what you're supposed to do is maintain this lifestyle as much as, much as possible going forward Ooh. and maybe reintegrate a few things. The last time I did this for 30 days was four years ago, and it was 
it was uh, it was middle late October into middle late November. Yeah. And the day after it was over, we had a Friendsgiving party in which the wheels came off right away. It was like wine oh, you, and so you stuffing cra- and mashed potatoes. You set yourself into a wall. It was it, right away. It like was you just, crashed yourself. Yes. Okay. So I don't know if day 31 is going to be complete state fair debauchery, but based on previous eating habits, well, I, I'm guessing you're going to find me in a food coma somewhere. Then you have an entire <laughs> and what's left, which is a lot of cookies, Man. and I'm staying away. Man, I can't do it. So, all right. So, I heard you guys talking about the the Teddy Bridgewater surgeon report. Yeah, you guys got into Urban Meyer. Yep. What else was hot the first couple hours here? Oh, Vikings talk concerns about the offense, but but I am positive Judd week. I this defense and the uh, um, and the addition of uh, George is it. I call Iloka. Iloka. I keep thinking of the former Edina hockey coach Willard Ikela. Okay. And so I keep getting those two confused. But anyway, I think that this defense has gone from being really, really good to inserting a guy who can make it really confusing. Chip and I were talking today about this. Just think about this. This allows the Vikings to play three safeties, Mm -hmm. including Harrison Smith, who's a hybrid player, right? Think about a defensive package that has Anthony Barr and Harrison Smith on the field at the same time. And until let's say five seconds before the snap, the offense has no idea what they're going to do. Because you could do that now. Yeah. And so so as much concern as we might have about the offensive line and just how that, that entire core is going to work, I think the defense could cause, could be absolute hell for like four to five games before teams start to say, oh, okay, if Barr and Smith are out there together, this is how they're going to be used. So if you want a positive here, I think this addition is actually really important, and it's a godsend because it comes before what? It comes with two preseason games left. Yeah, so I keep, I keep trying to go back in my, my Vikings historical archives mentally. Every single time they have a run of the NFC Championship game, the last 20 years or whatever, the next season is an absolute disaster. And so I've been running the 2018 Vikings season through that prism in my mind all off season. Yep. All right, well, you got to be prepared. The schedule gets tougher. There's some sort of uh, mental hurdle in getting that far and getting drubbed and then having to pick yourself back up and go forward again. And so the entire offseason, I've tried to pump the brakes on enthusiasm, pretty much award the Packers the division, etc. But now that we're sitting here, what, two, two and a half weeks before the regular season, I think they've made all the counter moves that they – I mean, aside from the offensive line having questions – I think this is going to be the first time in my lifetime that they bounce back from a devastating loss in that game and maybe push forward. I think this team is a Super Bowl team. The NFC is is as impossible of a gauntlet as it's been in a long time. Uh, with yeah, about incre- 10 teams that should be playoff teams, right? Yes, yes. But I'm, I keep looking for, for reasons to talk myself out. Classic Vikings fan mindset, right? To talk myself out of like, ah, oh, no, this is... Uh, this t- but they've... They've got so many pieces on defense. They've added pieces to an already number one defense last year. Adam Thielen, Stefan Diggs. I mean, there's. I really feel like this is a year where they actually pay off from a Super Bowl perspective getting there. I don't know. I'm not going to guarantee that they win it, but we'll see what happens once the season gets going. Um, I'm, my, it's like my my mind keeps telling me, uh, this is historically they're going to have they're going to take a step back. Historically, it's going to be bad. Right. But deep down, I feel like they're not. I don't think they are. To your point, the conference is incredibly tough, and it's really good. 
I think the key to this team, at least through about the first uh, four to six games, is going to be you're going to if you're going to win, it's going to be ugly but effective. I mean, I really the one thing I've convinced myself of is even with the quarterback change, offensively this is going to take some time. There's just too many components that aren't in place right now that are coming together. A, a new coordinator. So if like you expect them to get out on September 9th and bang, 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 score against uh, the 49ers, I think that's too much. But I see a scenario, and this team's built on defense. I see a scenario under which the first quarter of the season could be a success, and it'll be ugly to watch, but the defense could be yeah. extremely, extremely effective. And there's just no – there's nothing as disheartening as the NFC title game might have been. There's nothing about that defense where I say, oh, boy, they were exploited and now they're cooked. I think they probably adjusted to things, and I think that there's things that their opponents probably saw on film from that game that they'll try and exploit. But I have a lot of faith and confidence that this defense can bounce back. So it might not be you're scoring 28 points per game, but I do think there's a scenario under which, against good competition, you still can get off to yeah. a decent start. Well, remember, and this is apples to oranges, but if you're looking for, okay, how long does it take for important new pieces to figure it out on offense? That 2009 Vikings team with a Hall of Fame quarterback and a bunch of weapons, it took a month. It really took the first two games were clunky. They just handed off to Peterson. Favre managed games. And Favre wasn't even really good in that 49ers game, the Greg Lewis game. He was, he was good in the fourth quarter of that game. It took him a month until, okay, we got a Hall of Fame quarterback who's finally figuring out the pieces around him. Uh, now, the difference here with Cousins, aside from the fact that he's not as good as Brett Favre was in 2009, he's had the entire offseason to work in with coordinator, with line, with pieces. But, yeah, I, I think it's fair to brace people and say, listen, it, you're right. If they're going to win a bunch of games early in the season or stay afloat, it's not going to be because they're scoring 30 points a game right away. Yep. It might take until October until the offense looks like it's supposed to look like. Yep, exactly. And and Cousins, I, I think, to, to your point too, I think Cousins and and Deep Filippo will eventually get on the same page, but that takes time. We were I, – I can't stress how impressive the offense was a year ago and how things came together and how good Shermer was at play calling. And to think that that's just going to pick up and continue, I think, is uh, is probably not true. But, yeah, and this team, too, they are, at the end of the day, they're well coached. Mm -hmm. Zimmer's a really good coach. And so I don't see, I don't see that you're going to have, like, things fracture. And it's weird, too, because as a longtime fan and observer of this team, there are certain things transpiring now where you're like, uh-oh, that's not good. Offensive line. And you're saying to yourself, man, they didn't draft one, and now they got guys hurt and blah, blah, blah. But I do think that if you're going to have a coach who you say, all right, if this all, if this all does start to fall apart a bit, can he keep them? Zimmer can. You know, Childress couldn't. Mm -hmm. If things started to, to fall, fall apart on Brad, he sort of just went nuts and, and things disintegrated. With Leslie, who was well-liked and, and a good guy, I don't think he necessarily commanded a room. I think Zimmer has the ability where if things start to go sideways and they have a bit already, you still have the ability for him to get players back. Yep. Um, all kinds of Vikings coverage. I just popped open the homepage at 1500ESPN.com. All of the top stories right now are Vikings and post-training camp, preseason stuff from Matthew Collar. Uh, you've got some stuff up there, too. Purple Podcast is running four to five days a week right now, so you can find that if you're not subscribed. 
1500ESPN.com is a great place to find all these things. Uh, we will have later on between now and 1 o'clock, Roy Smalley will join the show. Doogie live on stage here with a scoop session. And we're going to end every show at the State Fair by giving away a bunch of old school stuff from our 1500ESPN promo cave. The archives. So we've got, garage yeah, sale. Like in here. It's a, it, I mean, it's a garage sale, but we're giving it away at 11, at, let me see here, 1245. Let's see what we day. got here. Like, we've got an old Royce, Royce and Mackie punk shirt right here from okay. 2010. Ooh, yeah, that's nice. Uh, we've got Garage Logic, sort of best of CDs. Do we have Royce and Mackie koozies? I think we do in here somewhere. There have to be, so, there has to be a lot left. Let me just dig through here. Hold on a second. Didn't you tell me once that... That they put in a massive order for those koozies right before you guys, right yeah. before you joined me. As as it was told to me, and this might be third hand fake news, but <laughs> but the 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 promo guy that we had at the time five years ago wasn't in the loop on a bunch of show changes that were about <laughs> to take place. So they were going to put you and I together, mm-hmm. and then Patrick was gonna was gonna do a show with Manny and Reavers in the afternoon. Yeah, and. Uh, the person who was in charge of ordering swag and merchandise for the station ordered like 10,000 Roycey and Mackie koozies two weeks before the shows were changed. <laughs> That's one oh where you would have God. liked somebody to uh, get to them and been like, you know, I'm not going to tell you exactly why, but just don't do that. Don't order those. But now we got them. <laughs> we got them to give away. So Mackie and Judd and 1500 ESPN live at the fair. Day number one back in just a few minutes. Mackie and Judd. We're uh, staring down a giant bucket of Sweet Martha's cookies here. It's really a test of willpower from now until 1 o'clock. <laughs> but you're not a gorgeous yourself during the show, guy. I'm, I'm actually pleasantly surprised start. with your with your willpower over the years. I don't understand how people can do that. Like, during the show. Like, I need to be, one, focused, and two, <laughs> not uncomfortable. Feel free to bag some of those up and bring them back here if you're not going to eat should, them. We should bring some to James, or at least let him lick the bucket when they're gone. I'll we'll bring you the bucket. The I'll bring you the bucket. bucket. I'll bring you the empty bucket. How Thanks, about Chad. That, James. You, you, know, you know, you do too much for it. me. Last week it was a, it was, you know, earlier this week it was a Twins backpack that you didn't want from the, uh, that was a giveaway from the Twins game. Yeah, I thought you'd Now like it's that. a Sweet Martha's bucket, you know. I, I just, I get too much from you. You're my friend. What can I say? <laughs> I don't have many friends, but you're my friend. Thanks, I think that's Chad. how Judd, uh, pretty much all the gifts that he gives to like nieces and nephews come from the twins in the wild press box, there's, right? There's a lot of stuff <laughs> hey, given away. That's all Jason I know. Jason Pominville bobblehead, kids. Like, oh, they don't get that. No, no. I give them the, the magnet, wild... like the schedule magnet. Do they yes, get that? exactly right. If, if they pass something out like that, that moves. If I get a bobblehead, it's mine. I don't give those away. Yeah, Ever what, give what those are, away. What are, just in, so to pull the curtain back, uh, and Judd goes to way more live sporting events now than uh, than I do, but... Media members oftentimes will whatever the giveaway is for that particular game. If it's a Dairy Queen Twins visor or whatever, yeah, like yeah, we get like, one of those. Yeah, media, what percentage yeah. of those do you? What do you usually do with all those? What do you keep and what do you, what do you repurpose? Uh, I I regift stuff all the time. Like I don't, I barely spend any money on gifts for people because I'll just give them a Joe Mauer like fake autograph bat or something. So I I went on Saturday after I got done at the Vikings game. I went to the Twins game and got a uh, since they honored Jack Morris that night. Yeah. I got a Jack Morris extra large shirt which I gave to the wife to sleep in. Jack Morris bowl of grits. I want yeah a Jack Morris. I hate baseball now. <laughs> uh, I want to say if I'm I believe I'm correct on this. I think they quit passing out most of the bobbleheads in the press box at some point yeah, just because they're so in demand. Uh, but when it comes to, like, hats and stuff, <laughs> I usually just say, yeah, no thanks. Yeah. Uh, on, the, on the subject of gorging yourself during a show, 
pre-surgery slash weight loss Patrick Royce back in the day. Yep. You know, so our studios are kind of on the corner of 280 and University, the Channel 5, and then there's KS95 and My Talk and 1500 ESPN. Yep. And just down the street between us and the Gopher Football Stadium is a Chinese buffet. Yes, my one of my partners used to go there a lot. Yeah. Well, so did the Royce and Mackey show. In fact, oftentimes, <laughs> before a noon to three show, Pat would treat us, and I don't know, it's like a yeah. $20 all-you-can-eat buffet or whatever. I think it's $10 or something. I love a good buffet. And we would gorge at 11 o'clock on sesame chicken. The best was on Fridays when you tape some interviews in the morning so that you know that, oh, you know what, from like 1 until 2.30, I can just sit and digest my orange chicken for the next few hours. Yeah. Didn't you get incredibly tired, though? Oh, my God. Yeah. See, that's my problem is I can't. If I did that, I couldn't focus. Like no, if, if I was to pound, if I was to pound eight cookies here, I'd be my heart would be palpitating. Judd Athlete Challenge. I wouldn't be focusing. <laughs> I would be just lost, and then I would crash. That's the worst part. Like <laughs> if you're on the high, it it can be slightly disturbing, but at least you're on the high. It's when the high comes straight down, yeah. and you're like, in, how, in the last hour of Mackey and Judd. How, how close were you to, because last year when we were doing State Fair Punishments, you chose to massage intern Charlie's feet yep. to give him a pedicure for about 40 minutes. Correct. One of your choices was, you came close to doing the bucket of Sweet Martha's cookies over the course of a full show. How close did you come to that? I came very close until the day before. I, I was discussing it, or two days before, we had gotten out here. And somebody, I got one or two notes saying, don't do it. You will get violently ill. You won't last the entire show. And you'll basically start to sweat and your heart will race and you'll throw up. And so at that point, I'm like, well, if it's going to. It's really it's unfortunate for, that it's, you deprived us from that it's spectacle. For, it's for the show. The, the purpose was for the entertainment of the show. But if it would take me off the show, that sounded like a bad idea. Eight sweet I mean, Martha's cooking. dealt with it. Eight, that, sweet, eight sweet Martha's cookies or a flight of steak for your uh, beer, Judd. Which one? Oh, that's not even that's not even a discussion. <laughs> eight sweet Martha's cookies. Are, they're all they're pretty small though. So eight. that's true. But the it's the latter for sure. Well, you'd choose beer over. Oh yeah, I mean, there's no there as far as as far as my choices in, in life, beer one, what? food starches starches two for food, <laughs> wife three. Well, I mean, there's sweets. I'm fine with. If I don't start on sweets, I'm fine. But if right now, I, I told Color this, if right now we had a big bucket of fries, I couldn't help myself. So good. Like, I can help myself on cookies. I could say I can't start. Judd Willpower Challenge. But if you were to bring, if they were to bring a big bucket of French fries, I'd be toast. Say that I'd one more time be- a little louder. If somebody was to bring a massive bucket of French fries here, I would gorge myself and be 252 <laughs> by the end of the show. And some ketchup, of course. Oh, but, my God. But when it comes to starches and things like that, I can't help myself. <laughs> I, am, I am so weak, and it's so pathetic. Uh, I saw something. I was, uh, I was scrolling through Twitter on the shuttle ride over here. They've got something called, I think it's new this year, called the Sweet Cake. And it's like chocolate peanut butter cake that comes in a cup with whipped cream on top. No. Not for me. Oh, my God, that sounds amazing. Not for me. Chocolate peanut butter no. cake See, with whipped cream on top. Doesn't even entice me. Oh. It's not that I wouldn't eat it, but I, w- I won't even give that a second thought. I, if, if you're going to eat that, it can't be the first thing you have at the fair, though. Right? That's, oh, that's oh be I don't like, know about that, Phil. That, I think I saw some people today. I mean, God. The amount of – so our, our, our general manager, Dan Seaman, was out here apparently at like 8 o'clock this morning – with Pronto Pup on his breath when he came back. Oh, yeah. Like people eat Pronto Pups. Can you drink I beer walk- here at 8 o'clock? Yes. 
I think you can. I, I want a question for Dan. Dan, what time can you start drinking beer? <laughs> you could just walk in at six yeah, in the Dan, morning and get bombed. Yeah, huh? yeah. I walk. The state fair is a beautiful thing. I it? walked past people today eating Pronto Pups, and I swear drinking beer. <laughs> and it and I got here on, on the eight o'clock. Is shuttle. that a thumbs up for you? Started drinking beer okay. early in the morning. Yeah. All right. See. Can you drink beer on a motorized cart like that? Is that even legal? We won't tell on you. Okay, you're good then. It would be shameful, though, to get pulled over on a motorized cart for... Run right into like some a, a poor sap. <laughs> ah, sorry about that. Move next time. Can you push a stroller while drunk? That's legal, right? Yes. It's not recommended. I think if you're on your... I think if you are on... Okay, my interpretation of the uh, intoxicated rules are if you are on foot... Well, you can be arrested for public intox. Right. Don't, so, be, don't be too drunk on foot. But as far as But as far as motorized operation, which can get you in serious trouble... You bring up a really good point because the the scooters now are a big deal here, and that's what Patrick t- talked about yeah. like what two three years ago. I'm gonna go in and rent one, then drive around. So I've always wondered that about golf carts. Like you can be on a golf course and and like order a mixed drink or a beer and drive around with. I bet. Yeah, that's a good point. Hmm. Now, but if you're on the golf course, are you subject to penalty then because yeah, you're? I'm guessing if you got bombed and crashed a golf cart into a tree and like killed your a, playing partner, oh, that'd be a bad there idea. would be ramifications. That would probably be yeah. manslaughter of some sort. All uh, right, and yeah. <laughs> enjoy. Just be careful. All right, let's come back. Roy Smalley, one of our favorite he guests. He can chime in on all these topics. He'll chime in via the phone. We'll see if he's ever gotten drunk on a golf scooter cart. at a state fair before. And Doogie will join in person a live scoop session in about an hour. Mackie and Judd from the fair. Mackie and Judd are talking twins. Now, now, with former twins great turned FSN analyst Roy Smalley. Roy, we're talking about gorging ourselves at the State Fair. I got to imagine, I mean, you you keep, even though there's a lot of guys who retire from baseball and, I don't know, they let themselves go. You've managed to stay relatively fit, if not very fit, in your in your post-career. Do you never indulge in a bucket of Sweet Martha's cookies? What's the most you'll indulge? <laughs> Let me tell you about how many buckets of Sweet Martha's cookies I've eaten it, uh, it, <laughs> in my lifetime. It's, um, it's one of the main reasons uh, for uh, my trips uh, to, the, to the fair. They're the best thing in the world. So I appreciate the, um, the uh, I, how should I say this after what you said, the compliment to relatively complimentary uh, <laughs> comment. Uh, that you have, but yeah, Sweet Martha's cookies are uh, are a, a a real vice of mine. Smalley, people like you drive me crazy because I look at food. What, people in shape? No, or? no. I look at food, Roy, and I gain ten pounds. I got, I got a feeling that you were a skinny kid who stayed a skinny adult, and that's just not fair. Yeah, I you know I can't uh, take an awful lot of credit. I was a uh, I was a skinny kid, and I fought for every extra pound of uh, you know lifting weights and and eating boatloads of food through uh, <laughs> through college. And then you know when I was playing shortstop every day, I'd I'd start the season at you know I don't know 185 or 188 and be sub 180 by the end of the year kind of kind of thing. And so that's kind of my my makeup, but. You know, you get older, and it, it, the really unfair thing about life is that the older you get, the harder you have to work at it at a time when you really don't feel like working that hard at it anymore. Or you give up like me. I've just decided to punt, Roy. I've decided <laughs> just, to punt. I just can't do it. <laughs> I'm going to let nature take its course. The shape I am is what God meant. 
Uh, good, let, good for you. Let's go back a couple nights ago, and um, Stephen Gonsalves' first start clearly was not good. I found your tweet, though, to be very intriguing as far as why we can't put a lot in, into that start. And, and I think you tweeted it during the game, but it was, uh, it was interesting to me then that he came out postgame and said that his leg was shaking, and basically there were things that conspired against him, including nerves being a big one, that made it very, very difficult to judge that first start. I think it's next to impossible to judge uh, that uh, start. I can only imagine, you know, the nerves for not only your first big league start, but, you know, you've got 40 family members and friends that fly in to watch. I mean, it, it, that's almost almost not fair. But it, more specifically to the point, whether it's nerves or not, um, he is a fastball change-up pitcher. He's that by... Uh, just by reputation, by by past history, and he'll tell you that. And so, as I watched him, uh, I he might have thrown one changeup below the belt on on um, White Sox uh, hitters. Every changeup he threw was belt high or higher, just begging to be crushed. And you know, for whatever reason, he didn't have command of his what is probably his best pitch and and so and you look at the percentage of pitches that he throws it's you know fastball and changeup are you know up around 70 or 80 percent of the pitches that he throws if not more than that so if you're that kind of pitcher and and every changeup you throw is one that's begging to be hit then then you're not going to have a it's going to be a short night and you know, we just have to wait and see. I, what I said was, we don't know anything about his stuff based on that start, whether his stuff plays at this level, until we see him pitching the way he's pitching the minor leagues, which is change-ups down in the zone and, and you know, complementing the fastball. And, and so at some point in time, we'll see that, and then we'll see how hitters react, and, and we'll have a little bit better idea. Yeah. Okay, as we, as we do start to stack up with the Twins – at least internal rotation options are for next year. What do you make now that you've seen almost a full season here of, of Jose Barrios in 2018, and he still has, what, probably seven starts left, so the story hasn't been written. But um, but I, I think he's put himself up there in maybe that second tier of starters. He's certainly not a Max Scherzer or a healthy Clayton Kershaw, but pretty strongly in that second tier and maybe even – borderline number one starter on on most teams what what do you make of him and his season and then sort of projecting him into next year too i think that any team in baseball would love to have him uh going out there every fifth day um i think he's put himself in the position of being a um to your i think you're right probably a number a number two starter on any 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 kind of team uh meaning contender or or not and you know, with the potential to go to number one, um, he, I, I wish that uh, that he would establish that he would pound the uh, strike zone, pound hitters with fastballs uh, more often than he does, especially early in the game. He he tends to, in my view, he tends to fall in love with that curveball, and I understand why because it's it's one of the better ones in baseball, frankly. And, but the the problem or the issue or the the thing is that it, the more fastballs you throw, the better the curveball gets. And I, I'd really I'd love to see that curveball be, you know, more of a more of a surprise pitch, more of a wipeout strikeout 
strike three pitch and trust his fastball and and uh, really get guys thinking that you know that 93 to 95 sometimes 96 fastballs coming most of the time and then you know go to the uh, change up uh, occasionally throw the wipeout you know strike three curveball uh, I, I just think that he falls in love with how good that curveball is, and he doesn't trust his fastball enough. I think that's the next big step. Personally, I think that's the next big step for him. You look at, you know, you know admittedly, um, you know, Scherzer throws, you know, two, three, four miles an hour harder than, you know, on the top end than, than um, Barrios does. Uh, but still, he uses, he uses that pitch to, you know, just – to set up everything else, as does Kershaw, as does Berlander, all the guys uh, that have, have achieved that level, and and I think that uh, I think that's Jose Barrios' next step. That and and just staying ahead in counts. I mean, he tends to he tends to have games when he doesn't pitch well. He falls behind. He throws a lot of curveballs. He's pitching two and zero and three and one a lot, and then. You know, and then guys get get on the fastball, and he and he gets hurt. So those, those two things for me. Roy, A's in town for a series starting tonight. How good a story is this? I mean, when you look at what this team has done, and, and you know, there, there was a time in June or so where we said, okay, it, it's Houston, Seattle. How good a story is it that this team that plays in a dilapidated, basically cesspool, cesspool of a ballpark, you, you look at the rotation and you say to yourself, it's an old-timers game. Where does this story rank as far as, as it being a miracle that they're this good? And it's, what's weird about this team is every few years they seem to continually just pop up. I'm really uh, anxious to uh, to see them this weekend. We, we haven't gotten a chance to see them much, just uh, read about them and see them occasionally. And I'll be uh, in the booth with Dick Bramer tonight uh, for this weekend series um, doing the, the color commentary. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to you know, to to watching them, and and it is a great story. Uh, they've had they've done a very good job of developing the young player, kind of the key young players. And um, I really like this Chapman kid at third base. Uh, the first base is a big, strong left-hand hitter. They they hit the ball out of the ballpark. And then you've got a couple of veteran guys, uh, and they got a couple of outfielders that have done a nice job. They're all on base plus slugging. You know, most of the guys that get most of the bats are. Are well above the 700 level of on base plus, you know, slugging, slugging. Chris Davis is up over 900. I mean, that's a wonderful story in and of itself. They, that guy, pound for pound, is probably the best power hitter in the game, and he's become more and more consistent. And they got and they got Jed Lowry back, and he's had a all star type season. So they've been, you know, they've developed some young players uh, nicely. Uh, they've gotten a couple of veterans to have. You know, really career type uh, years, which you always need to be a, you know, to be a contender. Uh, they've also been lucky with the uh, the older starting staff. Uh, you know, the uh, Trevor Cahill and, and Brett Anderson. I've, I've I loved them as as young kids. They got hurt. There were injuries. Now they come back and they're pitching like they always expected that they they would, were it not for the the injuries and things. And what they did, though, is they they developed an unbelievable bullpen, and and they're, I think they're fifty and zero when they're leading after seven innings, and, and that really, they're they're good in one run games. The reason they're good in one run games is because of that bullpen, uh, and because they can hit the ball out of the ballpark. Um, these young kids, so it's it's just a really interesting team. Roy, have you? I feel like I can't remember who who 
put this out publicly if it was the Twins, but when Michael Lewis was setting out to write Moneyball in 2001 or whenever that came out, 2000, I think it was it came out in like 2003, but it was about the 2000 2001 A's. That his initial idea was to write about the Twins, and uh, and their surge in 2001 2002 on a shoestring. But have you ever heard any more about that? That, that, that the no, Twins I haven't. Could have I haven't heard Moneyball. that story. It's and, and I've I'd, read that. Yeah, I'd love to know more about that. If if because for the A's it was all right. We're gonna we're gonna study analytics in the early 2000s and we're gonna look for market inefficiencies and and right now we feel like we can get on base per, on base percentage is undervalued and we can get guys like Scott Hatterberg for a lot less money than they should be going for. I'd be so curious to know. And the Twins were much more on the human development scouting side of the equation, but they were every bit as good as the A's for most of those seasons. I'd love to know how the sausage was made for the Twins in that regard. Yeah, I, uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see um, uh, where they go uh, from here with, uh, with the analytics department that they've beefed up here with the, um, uh, with the Twins. Uh, back then when uh, Michael Lewis you know, researched and wrote uh, Moneyball, uh, to your point, I mean, I hadn't heard him thinking about the Twins, but... But Terry Ryan did some, you know, made some, you know, phenomenally good uh, trades for, um, you know, for uh, uh, guys that that, that kind of fit that analytic um, uh, bill. Of course, the um, it, the the best trades that he, you know, the trade that he made it was uh, uh, trading uh, because he had a, because he had Joe Maurer waiting in the wings. A trade AJ Brzezinski at a time when they could get some some value for him, and they got. Uh, Liriano and, and Nathan. I was, and it, it was the, and Nathan especially, then with the emergence of, uh, the Rule 5 pick of, uh, uh, of Santana, Johan Santana. I mean, that was, you know, that formed the, you know, the, the, the strength of what they were, they were doing. Now they're a little bit more analytical than Terry was, but it's the same kind of thing that has to happen when you're, when you're putting together a team for, for longer term success. So, uh, we're getting an idea of what uh, Falvey and Levine are trying to do in that regard here uh, this year for the long term, and we'll, you know, we'll see how it works. And Roy, how, how much smarter do you think executives are now? It seems to me Terry took advantage, I, I think, and there was a sort of an extended period there. Terry took advantage of what seemed to me to be in in cases old school baseball guys and made some just phenomenal trades. Yep. But the evolution of this sport and the executives and the youth now that, that, that's involved uh, with executives, it seems like baseball people now are, are much smarter and, if not conservative, they certainly, if I, if I shop A.J. Pruszynski to you, you'll trade me something for him, but you're not coming back with a three or four for one. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that. And, and the analytics part of it goes beyond just um, – um, looking at the value that a player uh, brings to a lineup uh, or a team beyond just the old school statistics, and you mentioned, you know, the on-base percentage and the and the various things. It's a, it's a Bill James abstract uh, kind of uh, way of uh, of looking at it, where it's like, okay, we want to score runs and we want to prevent runs. How does this particular player fit into that? And a lot of times. You know, on-base percentage and uh, is a, is a big part of you know just keep you know moving around the bases. How how do I how do I score a run? How do I get players that can get from home back and around to home again? 
And so there's a lot more statistics about those kinds of things now. But the other thing that they have statistics they're looking at is being realistic about at what age you kind of quit uh, putting all your eggs in the basket of a guy, of of a guy, either with uh, with the trade with the trade and giving up uh, a whole bunch of uh, players, or by giving that guy an awful lot of money. And and I think that. It's an extension of the baseball analytics, you know, statistically, that they're also looking at uh, how to most wisely um, spend money. You know, whether whether it turns out whether the decisions they make turn out to be right or wrong, um, I, I think there's more analytics going into that kind of thing as well. Yep. Great stuff, Roy. Thank you, Roy. We'll talk next week. All right. See you guys. All right. Roy Smalley That's from good Fox news. Sports North. Roy, in the booth this weekend. Yeah. That's very good news. I'm a big Roy Smalley fan. Yeah, he's good. He's good. Uh, Let's circle back on a couple of those things. Also, Doogie will be here live at the State Fair with us for a scoop session around 1230. Mackie and Judd, let's talk about the best car dealership and service department in the Twin Cities for a brief moment, at least in my opinion. That would be Luther Brookdale Toyota, 694 on Brooklyn Boulevard. And right now, I've already uh, looked on the website to see two or three different 2019 models it looks like coming in. So what that means for you is great deals, maybe the best deals of the year, as part of the national clearance event on brand-new 2018 vehicles. they got to make room. They have over 600 brand-new 2018 vehicles on the lot, and you get to take advantage of 0% financing and $2,500 rebates. You get the best combination of some of the most durable new vehicles in the world, and some of the best people and knowledge and expertise in the Twin Cities. You can find out more by going to LutherBrookdaleToyota.com, or they're open until 9 o'clock tonight. Stop in for a test drive. See my friends. Go talk to Paula. Just say, hey, Paula, Phil Mackey told me to send, uh, told, told me to show up here. Join us from, for Hubbard Broadcasting Day at the Minnesota State Fair. Hubbard will be taking over Dan Patch Park Saturday, August 25th, and 1500 ESPN will be on stage from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Judd and Matthew Collar kick it off for, with a live edition of Saturday Sports Talk. Afterward, Phil Mackey takes the stage with Jumpin' Jim Brunzel from noon to 1. Then a live edition of The Beer Show with Chris Reavers and Fred Loney rounds out the day. More details can be found at 1500ESPN.com. Thank you, James. You know, if let's say Michael Lewis had gotten permission from the Twins in the early 2000s to write Moneyball about the Twins winning all those games on a shoestring budget, Mm -hmm. I think it would have been a boring book compared to what the A's, because the A's book was all about, all right, we're going to take the old way of doing things, we're going to scrap it. Right. And in some ways they went probably too far in devaluing the human element. But it was interesting, right? It's like, whoa, holy cow, they're taking 100 years of baseball tradition and history and scouting and they're and they're sort of devaluing it and coming up with a new model to win 90 or 100 games i think the twins book would have been we're just better at scouting right yeah. or just yeah it would have been finding it would have been yeah but it would have been very old school philosophies they they just did well yeah and the only the only inside if you play this out phil the only inside things that i think would, would have turned out to be really intriguing if if Lewis had gotten the access that we're talking about are things like the Przinsky trade. I mean, that was a heist. Mm -hmm. Terry had a stretch there where he robbed people. Like, it wasn't just sort of a good trade. He robbed them. And that era now, I 
think for the most part is done. But I would have loved. But if you could have gone inside those trades and been like, what was discussed? Like for how? Sure. Like how did they go to the Giants and say, throw in this Nathan kid too? And Larry, yeah. you know, that would be intriguing. Yeah, there's, and you could you could say this about the Cleveland Indians when they went a few years ago, six or seven years ago, to the Padres and saw something in Corey Kluber who had a five and a half ERA at Double A AA or Triple A. What did the Twins see in in Joe Nathan that said, you know, right. that, that guy can be, or were they just taking a flyer on a good arm that they thought and would I would just be, be an addition to them? Yes. Yeah. But I don't think it would have been as intriguing of a storyline yep. as, hey, we're going to essentially make the manager's job to just listen to Billy Bean, and, and, and we're going to find really creative ways to replace three of the best hitters in all the baseball. The incredible thing, though, is the A's continue to keep popping up occasionally in the same way, and, and it's 2018 now. That's what impresses me. Yep. Like the formula, I'm sure it's been altered and changed, but they still they play in a dump. It's not it's not like they moved to a new ballpark and now they're making a lot of money and and they can spend on players. Nothing's really changed with them, and every once in a while they just sort of hit this area where they go up up up. But I mean the fact that they are competing with with Houston this year mm-hmm. is fairly miraculous and when you look at that rotation and what they've done like if if you had been presented that their current rotation in april you'd be like oh okay yeah mm-hmm. edwin Je- okay yeah sure whatever typical oakland you would have never said yeah you know what they're going to be vying for the american league west title yeah don't you also find it odd that we've just accepted oakland as this low budget team even though oakland is part of the bay area region yep same region as the Giants are from. It's it's Silicon Valley, or at least right next door. It ain't like the Golden State Warriors are operating on a shoestring budget year after year. They're in the luxury tax, right? Yep. I mean, they're spending on things in their organization. The Giants have always had a top eight or nine payroll in baseball. If you ever got a new stadium for the Oakland A's, I think they would compete on a much higher level in terms of, like, they would probably have a new TV deal at some point, right? Yes, they would definitely Unless compete. I'm missing something. But as of right now because they are a bottom three, bottom five revenue team. And this is going to sound bad for Twins fans, but the Twins have to operate. If they're going to win on a, on a high level, the Twins have to be more like those types of teams that are finding tricky ways to get players and to, and to be creative with a roster than, say, the Red Sox or the Dodgers sure. who can just outspend their bad the Twins, The Twins should be what, in fairness? Cleveland? Yes. And yes. Now, but, but Oakland and Tampa are weird. Because they, they are, in pro sports now, they are two of the very few teams left in dumps. Like, ordinarily, Cleveland's got a nice stadium. They've got, and, and they've certainly got a, a competent executives who get good players. Oakland does, too. But Oakland and Tampa, you, you name me in, in the major pro sports now, how many franchises are left? And it used to be quite yeah. a few, but now who are in non-revenue-producing dumps? I mean, now There's that not the, that many yeah, left. Now that the Raiders are going to Las Vegas. Yep. Chargers moved out of that dump that they were in in San Diego. Are there any dumps left in the NBA? I don't think so. Golden State plays. Isn't the, the Golden State Arena? They're moving, though. It's been redone, too, though. Okay. And, and it's in the parking lot of the Oakland Coliseum where the A's and Raiders play, but they're going to downtown San Francisco in the next couple of years. Yeah. So they're, they're going to go from being ridiculous to making more money. And almost all of them are strong-arming the public into paying tens and hundreds of millions of dollars and, to finance these projects. And hockey's got some failing teams, but I don't think I don't think for the most part they're in dumps of buildings. Yeah. There's some there are some that are located in not great places, too far outside cities, 
but the buildings are okay. Yep. Um, James, what kind of questions do you got for us when we come back? Well, I can tell you guys this. Uh, none of the questions I'm going to ask will involve David Morgan, so how's that for a tease? Wow. I was hoping three I like David, David Morgan, Morgan questions. I like the David Morgan stuff. Did you, did you and Kyler break down David Morgan again today? Kyler got mad at James, and it got ugly during, uh, during wow. stuff. I had two football questions, and one of them was college, and that wasn't good enough. Wow. He, he wanted, got what, especially he mad. The o- Ohio State thing set Colorado. And I brought up the uh, NCAA selection committee, and that completely set him off. I didn't understand that, though. They're going away from I mean, the was, RPI to what? Uh, it just doesn't – it's confusing. Yeah, it's, it's something called uh, NET, the NCAA evaluation tool. Are we still keeping RPI as a thing? I mean, it's, it's, they're not going to use it to evaluate who's in and who's out anymore. So it doesn't matter anymore. Right. Because it's still a thing. schedule and coach to the RPI. Yes, and now it's out. But but now we got Net, which is just so cutely named. Oh, it's I love ba- it. It's Net. Isn't it funny? They clearly started with a name that sounds like something basketball, yes. and then we'll fill in the acronym part later. Yes. All right, James with some questions and Doogie with a scoop in about a half hour. Mackie and Judd from the Minnesota State Fair.